Welcome to season four. Our theme is themes. We're going to spend seven episodes digging into how to understand your client's work better. You know, being highly present in the moment is essential in play therapy. But when you shift to that analytical side of your brain and try to capture what happened for your progress notes, what do you write? How do you talk to your parents about the client's work while maintaining a safe space for their child's work? And probably the biggest question for new practitioners is, how do you look like a mental health professional when you spend a therapy session playing with kids? Oh sure, we know that play therapy works, but parents, supervisors, and other stakeholders may need more than that. And honestly, I need something more tangible than that. If you want to understand your clients better, sound intelligent when explaining play and therapy, and guide older clients to deeper wound healing, then you are going to love season four. This season, we are talking about themes in play therapy. Play themes give us a concrete way to conceptualize what the client is showing us, how they are progressing in treatment, and what needs they are trying to meet. It also gives you a framework for catching all the information that your client is tossing at you. So let's learn more about play themes together. Here we are at the end of season four. I have really enjoyed sharing my conceptualization of play themes with you, but I'm feeling a little sad that it is ending. But that seems fitting today since I want to talk about mastery and when it is time to end therapy. Before we talk about that, I want to remind you to write a short review of the podcast, if you will. If you listen in Apple Podcast, just scroll down to the review section and click on Write a Review. And if you want to learn more about what we've talked about this season, you might be interested in my book, Creative Play Therapy with Adolescents and Adults. This is everything I'd want to tell you if we went out for coffee and we had hours of time together. In part two of the book, I go through the stages of creative play therapy. And chapter 12 is all about ending. In that chapter, I suggest four questions to help you understand how you approach endings and what you need for them to end well. Here are the four questions. Number one, how did you celebrate a university graduation? Number two, what do you do at the end of a semester? Number three, what do you do at the end of a movie that has moved you? And number four, how do you prefer to grieve the death of a loved one? You can think about those answers for a minute and pause the podcast if you need to. I want to read a clip now from the book about how I answered these questions. And this excerpt is going to start on page 162. As you answer these questions, you will uncover some patterns about how you like to end. I, Dr. Denise, love the anticipation of endings. I tend to count down weeks and days until big events. 
I often find the final celebration of an accomplishment, like graduation, to be enjoyable but anticlimactic. And I often leave quickly with a contented sigh to avoid lingering on the ending. As an optimist, I prefer to dwell on the positive, so I skirt the sadness when possible. And I have learned that lingering at those events increases chances that I will leave feeling sad and wistful instead of content and nostalgic. I finished semesters, ideally, with a tidying ritual so that I can start fresh and ready for next semester. I want as much as possible finished, packed away, and cleared to make room for new things. I appreciate clear endings that clearly mark a semester or a project as finished. Ambiguous endings are unsatisfying for me. At the end of a moving movie, I like to watch the credits until the very end, sitting in the dark, sorting through my private thoughts and emotions. If I've been crying, I like that time to dry my tears and wipe my eyes while the theater clears. I enjoy considering what made it a good movie and noticing songs and locations in the credits. On the way out, I like to toss my trash, visit the restroom, and then re-enter the outside world, my cleanup ritual. When it comes to grieving loved ones, some of the same patterns emerge. I prefer to keep the sadness to myself, or at times a few trustworthy friends, and I do not keep very many reminders. Those mementos I treasure make me smile, remembering the positive and releasing the sadness. Mementos are very significant to me, but usually are not obvious in meaning to others. After deaths, I prefer to tidy up, take care of the details, and get things put away quickly so I can clear the space to grieve privately. That's from the book. So you can tell from that that I like to anticipate the end, to review work together, to tidy up, and then to privately process. That's my ideal, and that's my process. Sometimes therapy ends this way, but sometimes it doesn't. Today, though, I'm going to talk about knowing when it's time to end, and I'm not going to address abrupt endings. So mastery is the client's way of preparing to end. It's often their version of tidying up. This isn't when you pull everything out of the catch-all closet. Mastery is after you have decluttered and organized the closet and you're taking the trash out to the bin and putting the donation box in your car and closing the door on a neater, more organized closet. It also doesn't mean that you won't ever have to deal with the contents of the closet again. But for now, the job is done. Mastery play themes may be a play version of the before and after photo. Remember when Rabbit used to yell at Porcupine because Porcupine wouldn't listen? Rabbit doesn't have to do that much now. Mastery play themes might be like sitting on the couch with a cold drink after cleaning out the closet. It seems like you could do something else, but that's enough for today. And it's good to be done with that. It feels like an accomplishment, even if it's not perfection. In play, 
This might look like ambivalence around toys or maybe playing games without therapeutic work. All right, here's a third one. Mastery play themes might be like the final reveal. Okay, maybe I do watch too much HGTV when on vacation. But anyway, this is a desire to share the therapeutic work with others, but it has a real sense of closure around it. For older clients, it might be sharing their story more publicly to help others, or maybe even considering a career in a helping profession. When you start seeing play that is like the before and after photo, or relaxing on the couch, or the big reveal, these are indicators that it's time to end. Sometimes there's there's just a pause before going to the next layer of work. But when that is the case, it's more like the person with the energy to tackle the next closet. They may admire the already organized closet, but then they move to the next one without reviewing, without fully stopping, and without the desire to share it with others yet. And speaking of sharing with others... I can't wait to hear what book Rachel is going to share with us today. Back by popular demand, Rachel Sellers offers summaries of the literature that shape our profession. This season, she has selected seven essential books for every play therapist library. Rachel works in private practice and is experienced with children and adolescents using play therapy. Let's hear which book she has selected this week. It's hard to believe this is our last and final episode. I hope that over the past few weeks, you have added some wonderful books to your professional library. For our final episode, I want to talk about a book called Windows to Our Children, A Gestalt Approach to Children and Adolescents by Violet Oaklander. Oaklander has a PhD in clinical psychology, a master's of arts in marriage, family, and child counseling, and a master's of science in special education. This book is like a treasure chest. It's filled with methods, materials, techniques, transcripts, and case examples. She combines a gestalt approach with so many amazing expressive arts techniques, like painting, poetry, storytelling, and music. This book offers practical interventions to use with children and adolescents in therapy. One of my favorite expressive arts techniques she describes is called the rose bush. This activity combines fantasy and drawing and is used to help deepen self-awareness and can also be used as an assessment activity during the beginning stage of counseling or as a way of highlighting a client's growth towards the end of their counseling journey. Let's imagine you are the therapist and you're facilitating this technique in a session. You'd start by saying to the client, I want you to close your eyes and imagine you are a rosebush. What kind of rosebush are you? Are you very small? Are you large? Are you tall? Do you have flowers? If so, what kind? Are you in full bloom or do you have only buds? What are your roots like? Do you have any? 
Are they twisted or straight, shallow or deep? What's around you? Animals, people, birds? What's it like to be a rosebush? How do you survive? Does someone take care of you? There are several other prompts listed in the book. Oaklander says that she gives a lot of prompting, suggestions, and possibilities. She believes that children who might be defensive or emotionally constricted due to past trauma might need several suggestions or prompts in order to feel competent and open to the creative process. After giving the prompts, you'd say something like, you can open your eyes and draw what you imagined. Don't worry about the drawing. You can explain it to me after you've finished. After the child has completed the drawing, you'd ask her to describe the creation in the present tense as if she were the rosebush. You'd likely ask some clarifying questions and in doing so, gather information about the client's perception of herself. In the book, Oaklander gives some case examples and transcriptions from her own sessions all of which show the powerful ways that this activity and the metaphor it offers can provide valuable information to both the therapist and the client. Oaklander talks about how the creative process and the externalization of feelings and beliefs tends to unlock something inside of a child, making it safer for them to self-express. I have personally used this technique in several sessions, and I am always amazed of what it reveals. In some ways, mastery themes in play aren't really themes at all. They don't have the intensity, the repetition, or the emotions like other themes do. But that is exactly what makes them mastery themes. The work is done, at least this layer and at least for now. As we know, children who have experienced trauma may need to revisit things as they develop physically, cognitively, and socially. And that's just the closet getting messy again. But for now, it's good. This season, we've covered the four core needs, safety and security, empowerment and control, inner value, and relationships. We've talked about the play themes of Safety, security, protection, power, control, perfectionism, anxiety, chaos, revenge, nurturing, inner value, hopelessness, helplessness, self-sufficiency, relationships, reparation, abandonment, separation, integration, grief, loss, and mastery. That's 22 play themes. There are more, but these are some of the most common that clients will show you through play. And now, here we are, at the end of Season 4. You've heard me anticipating the end multiple times. I just reviewed our season together. I'm ready now to pack up my podcast equipment and clear space for other things while we take a break between seasons. Then, I'll go quiet while I privately process this season and plan for the next. Yeah. That's how I like endings. I hope you've learned things this season that make you a better play therapy practitioner. Let's talk next season. 
A big thank you for the kind words to those who've taken time to review our little podcast. I'm so glad that you find it helpful and inspiring. For those of you that haven't done so yet, please join these gracious reviewers by taking two minutes to give us five stars or whatever you think is honest, but those are our favorites. Also write a sentence or two to let us know what you liked best in this podcast. This helps others find us when they search. You can also share it on your social media too. I hope this episode helped you better understand and conceptualize what your clients tell you through the themes of their play. Let us know what you thought. Contact us at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at playtherapypodcast.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at playtherapy with Dr. Denise. Remember, I don't have an E at the end of Denise. Thanks to all you subscribers in our playful tribe. We wouldn't do this without you or the incredible talents of book reviewer Rachel Sellers, audio engineer Sheldon Clark, production assistant Kara Allison, and songwriter Sarah Beth Goh. This podcast is funded through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Now go play, create, and heal. Soon you're going to see that you've got what you need.